It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, October 24th, 2016. Yeah, still getting over a little bit of a illness here. Not at 100%. That's all right, though. Looking at the notes here. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. That's right. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There's no shortage of really crazy things being said out there. We take the time to actually open up God's Word. That's right. Open up God's Word and do the comparative work to compare and see if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group curricula we need to be studying instead of, yeah, that's how that works out, isn't it? The Word of God, and over and again, we demonstrate that what's being said out there is not actually what the Bible teaches. It's not sound doctrine. It's something completely different. And uh, that can be some dangerous stuff that we're talking about here. And uh, so we try to have a little bit of fun along the way. It's politically incorrect. I apologize for that. But, yeah, the idea here is that uh, sometimes the only apologetic or the apologetic that kind of makes the point is, like, why should we take that seriously? Because that's patently absurd. That's not what the Bible teaches. And so we will treat absurdity as if it is absurdity. Talking about absurdity, let's talk about what we're going to be looking at at today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to begin <laughs> with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange extravaganza. Maybe that's the right way of putting it. And uh, we're going to begin by uh, taking a look at Jason Hooper. Uh, he's at, is it the Trinity Church? Is that uh, Kingsway? Sorry, Kingsway Church. And uh, Jason Hooper is going to fail Hermeneutics 101. He's going to start off making a valiant effort to you know, pass Hermeneutics 101, showing that apparently he understands a thing or two about how to rightly handle a biblical text. And then he is going to immediately fall on his face. Mm-hmm. Then uh, we still under the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Extravaganza. We're going to be uh, listening to Ryan Lestrange as he gives us uh, the the Monday word, uh, prophetic word uh, about the Jehu generation that is rising. And then we're going to check in with a couple of different sources: Patricia King, Todd Bentley. Uh, regarding uh, Jewish New Year uh, prophecy. Yeah, that's right. Rosh Hashanah is upon us, and I think we've actually passed it. But, uh, you know, I mean, if if you don't rightly understand that the Mosaic Covenant is kaput, that uh, we're no longer under the Mosaic Covenant, uh, then what ends up happening is, is that you somehow spiritualize the, um, the Jewish feast days, and <laughs> you end up coming up with New Year's prophecies twice a year. Yeah, one of the things we do here at Fight 
Fighting for the Faith is every January 1st, the first week of January, we start uh, providing you a roundup of the uh, the latest prophetic coverage of what apparently God is saying uh, to his church for the upcoming year. And over and over and over again, we get the most bizarre, vapid, nondescript, nonspecific, weird kind of prophecies. Like, oh, this is going to be your prophetic acceleration, uh, <laughs> you know, shifting year of the... Yeah, it's this is the weirdest thing. Anyway, so we cover all of the uh, the New Year's prophecies and, and words. Yeah, there's specific words apparently that God gives to a particular pastor. See, you know, I you know the church I serve, you know, as a pastor, um, I never get any like specific words from God. You know, so the word of the Lord, the word that God wants, Kongsvinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota. Uh, the word for this year is evaporate. Woo! Yeah, let's rally around the word evaporate. You know, and uh, <laughs> we never get any of that. You know, it's no. You know, it's <laughs> just you know, we're so plain, we're so ordinary. Apparently, God doesn't love us, and uh, you know, you know, we don't go to any of those super special churches that have all of those like you know, s- amazing you know bonus features you know you know we don't have a fire mantle or any prophetic super spiritual thingy we don't even have any indulgences or um relics holy relics there um uh now 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 i heard you you know that that heckler in the audience saying well how old are you chris maybe you're a relic yeah i heard that and so you need to knock that off you know (laughs) bible says to Honor your elders and things like that. So you know. <clears throat> anyway, so uh, we're gonna li- we're gonna be listening to a couple of the apparent you know words of the Lord for the uh, the for Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and uh, then uh, we'll spend a little bit of time listening to Lance Wallnow. Uh, Lance Wallnow is out there making the rounds, promoting his book, and we're gonna note two stops on his uh, book promotion tour. Uh, as he talks about God's chaos candidate, uh, Donald Trump. Oh, man, I am so glad that we are almost at the end of this whole political season. And I just am not thrilled with either candidate. But anyway, um, and one I am less thrilled with than the other. Um, I don't even want to talk about it. Anyway, so uh, we're going to listen to Lance Wall now as he goes on the Jim Baker program as well as Michael Brown's uh, program. Yeah, I got word from somebody that Michael Brown may be doing a program this week on the NAR. I'll have to get more information about that later. Anyway, so that's what we're going to be doing. Oh, in hour number two. <laughs> oh, hour number two. We're going to head down to Florida and we're going to listen to Apostle. Apostle, you know, this woman's received some kind of strange promotion, but Apostle Jane Hammond and uh, and her message titled Will You Cross Over With Me? <clears throat> yeah, there are no apostles on the earth in that sense. Anyway, so 
that'll be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We, I mean, I mean we literally have a lot of ground that we need to cover. And since we're going to beginning, uh, begin, beginning, we're going to begin with a prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate extravaganza. We got a lot of uh, folks we got to cover from that uh, from that camp. That requires us to do this. Oh, hallelujah. Get up right now. Tilton and Hubabaconda. All right, so we're heading down to Kingsway Church. I think they're in the Birmingham, Alabama area, and we're going to be listening to, to their vision-casting charismatic leader, uh, Jason Hooper uh, of um, Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey fame. That's right. He was the he used to work for Chuck Pierce and uh, was the uh, the not Chuck Pierce. Um, uh, Rick Joyner, my apologies. He worked for Rick Joyner and was the uh, the worship leader there for Rick Joyner, and uh, and he was the one. If you ever heard the Max Holiday sketch where we say we apologize that this is not satire or actually anything like it, it's actual real life. It's the Holy Ghost hokey pokey. That was Jason Hooper uh, leading that, and so uh, here's uh, the beginning portion of his message titled "Encountering the Face of God and Preve- Prevailing." In Peniel. <sighs> Here we go. Receive the offering. Who's excited to give today? Yes, Lord, there's an interesting dynamic here today. So we must have to kill some sacred cows and kick over a couple things. It's going to be awesome. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Okay, we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 8 to receive our offering. If you Deuteronomy chapter 8 while receiving the offering. Make out checks this morning. You can make them out to Kingsway Church. If you want to get my cash or credit card, there's envelopes in the seat pocket in front of you. And for the sake of time, uh, I'm going to move quickly through this. I'm not going to teach at all, uh, but there's a verse we want to get to. But how many of you know, a lot of times a verse can be taken out of context and you don't understand the context or the preface in which the verse was first communicated. Amen? It's- right. So notice here, he's talking about the context in which a verse is given. He's telling us to go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. I mean, this sounds like we're going to get an, a bona fide good exegesis of Deuteronomy chapter 8. He's noted that we need to, we got to remember that this was given in a particular historical context. And I would say, yes, that is correct. That is right. So, oh, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to the point where I'm thinking maybe, just maybe Jason Hooper will rightly handle a biblical text. I haven't seen him do it yet. But oh, we're we're off to a good start. There's hope. There's hope. Let's see what happens. 
to recognize what was being said here as Moses spoke to the people. But starting in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. How many of you want to live here today? How many? <laughs> Immediately you just have to ask the question. Was is the land that God promised to give to the fathers was the the land Alabama? I you know, wow, okay. So the promised land is now somewhere deep in the US South. Got it. I want to multiply here today. How many of you want to possess the land that you're called to inherit today? Amen. Let's Oh, this is so bad. I mean, I, he, he started off so well. I mean, he was heading in the right direction. And, uh, and now, well, not so much. Now, real quick, I, I think it's important to note that Hebrews chapter 11 helps us understand what the real promised land is. Now, you know, think of it this way. Old Testament is type and shadow. This is how the New Testament describes the Old Testament, particularly in the book of uh, Hebrews. And so the idea then is, is that the promised land is pointing to something. The promised land, that little strip of uh, territory uh, north of Egypt, south of Syria, along the Mediterranean, that actually is not the promised land. Yeah, I know. You're thinking, what? What? Okay, well, Hebrews 11 makes it clear that the promised land is actually pointing to something different. So we as Christians actually do have a promised land that we are looking for. Uh huh. And let me help you out. Here's what it says, Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Uh Uh-huh. Notice what it says about Abram's sojourning in the promised land. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, When she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised, therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died, watch this, verse 13, not having received the things promised. Yeah, that's right. Abraham went to the promised land and he died there not having received received the things promised, Uh, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had not been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Right. So Hebrews 11 makes it very clear 
that the promised land that we Christians even are looking forward to is the same promised land that Abraham was looking forward to and did not yet receive by the time he died. Uh Uh-huh. And what is that promised land? Well, it's the heavenly one with the heavenly city whose builder is God. So you got to think, new heavens, new earth. That is our promised land, not Alabama, certainly not North Dakota. Um, You know, you kind of get the point there. So uh, what Jason Hooper is doing here is just totally falling on his face and demonstrating he doesn't know what he's talking about, although he's, oh, you got to remember the context. But how many of you want to possess your promised land right here and right now? Uh, your promised land is not right here, right now. You're dying. You're a sojourner. You're in exile. Uh-huh. We continue. Now, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart. Not that he needed to know, but how many of you know during times of testing, things come up? When you, when you feel when you're being pressed on all sides, things come up, you're like, oh, man, I didn't even know I was that. Anybody ever found themselves in a mess and something came out? You're like, oh, my God, I didn't even know that was there. Amen? We're going to talk about... Did, did he just use God's name in vain? Yeah, I think he did. I thought I heard that, yeah. Not today. And uh, because I want to tell you, listen, it's a really good thing when it comes up because it can come out. What's not a good thing is if it comes up and we deny it's coming, we just try to push it down before anybody sees it. Amen? You're, where are you getting that from Deuteronomy 8? to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You shall know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord God chastens or disciplines disciples you. See, and sometimes in our finances, we're actually being disciplined. It's not that we're being punished. It's that God is wanting to trust us with more. And how many of you know the seeds of poverty are sown during the times of prosperity? What? I thought you said you were going to exegete this text and note the original context at which it was given so we can rightly understand it. What are you doing? Here when I say it. The seeds of poverty are sown during times of prosperity. Here's what I mean. During times where you have plenty, you make mistakes. You make bad decisions because you can. The seeds of poverty are sown during times of plenty. During times of plenty, when you do not manage the plenty you've been entrusted with, many people begin to live frivolously and begin to live lawlessly. And in that place, you actually sow a seed for your future because it's a mindset that you don't have something, but something has you. Amen? (laughs) Why would I say amen to that? What you just said is not found in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Come to think of it, I can't think of a single place where God's word says any of that stuff that you just said. It's as if you're just making up your own theology as it spins off the top of your head. Yeah, and that's kind of the problem, isn't it? Of course, well, you know, he supposedly hears directly from God. You know, he gets direct revelations from God and stuff. So, I mean, if he were teaching us false doctrine, certainly God would call him up on the phone and say, hey, um, Jason, yeah, this is the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, if if you would stop twisting my word, um, that would be really great. Um, uh, 
I I hope you get the message. Um, bye. <laughs> yeah. All right. So moving along, moving along in our prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate extravaganza. Next up is um, well Ryan Lestrange. Emphasis on strange and his uh, Monday word from God Almighty. Here we go. Hey, it's Ryan the Stranger with the Monday word, and my Monday word is Jehu generation arising. Right, that's his Monday word. Yeah, this is fresh stuff coming right from God Himself. Yeah. But we know the wickedness of the Jezebel spirit. We know yeah. how that spirit operates in a false prophetic ministry. Right. Yeah, that Jezebel spirit. I bet you're prophesying using that huh know how that spirit is an unclean spirit that hates the pure anointing of god and comes against that anointing we know that is a, a spirit that tries to uh, form an illegitimate prophetic ministry and create calamity and <laughs> yeah says the person who has an illegitimate prophetic ministry that's just weird how that works the flow of anointing. It's a spirit that wants to overthrow the plans and the purposes of God. It is a spirit that brings unclean seduction in the land. And it's a spirit that comes to contend against the promises and the plans of God. We know it's an evil and a wicked spirit. When we read about the woman Jezebel, she was married to a weak man named Ahab. Every Jezebel needs an Ahab. It needs Okay, so every Jezebel needs an Ahab. I had no idea of that necessity, you know, for the Jezebel spirit. Weak leader that will not take authority and set order. But I believe there's a Jehu generation arising. Right, yeah, that Jehu is going to stop that Jezebel. Yeah, they're they're going to just totally, like, you know, stop her dead in her tracks. Her and her weak husband, too, yeah. This is what I want to talk about because we know how, how demonic and terrible the Jezebel spirit is. But we need a Jehu anointing. We so, so we need the Jehu anointing to cancel out the Jezebel spirit thingy. Right. An apostolic generation that is tearing down the false altars and engaging in high-level spiritual warfare and telling the devil no. And in Yeah, have you engaged in high-level spiritual warfare today? Yeah, I mean, you you might want to consider joining the uh, <laughs> the apostolic prophetic air force, where you can go and you know fly your sorties against the demonic forces in the heavenlies, so you could tear them down, so that we could get air superiority, and then on the ground war, we could really you know we can just start making some serious progress. Bible, there was a man named Jehu yeah. that God poured out an anointing upon, and he was the end to the reign of terror of Jezebel and Ahab. In the book of Second Kings, uh, is yeah, I, I'm familiar with Jehu and uh, and what he did with Jezebel. The thing is, is that that's a descriptive text in Scripture. It's a historical narrative. You've turned it into a prescriptive text, like somehow. Because there was a Jehu who, you know, got rid of Jezebel, and that somehow that means today we need a Jehu spirit anointed army thingy to overthrow the Jezebel spirits running amok in our land. Yeah, that's no, that's just nonsense. That's not even exegesis. This is just silly. 
Kings chapter 9, it, 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 there's an interesting set of scriptures. The, the Lord is prophesying to Jehu. It says, He arose and went in the house and poured the oil on his head and said, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. You shall strike the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. Jehu was a captain. The Bible said he came and beheld the captains of the army were sitting. And he said, I have a word for you, O captain, Jehu. And I want to say unto you today, there is a Jehu generation arising. And the Lord... Yeah, you can sit there and say that all you like. But actually, God the Holy Spirit did not tell you that there's a Jehu generation arising. If there ever was a real Jezebel spirit which sets up false prophetic ministries, well, Ryan Lestrange is, well, come under the sway of that Jezebel spirit. God has a word for you that it's time to mend your battle station. It's time to take back the territory from the devil. It's time to cast out the spirit of Jezebel and knock her off the wall. Jehu operated under radical obedience. The Lord anointed him to possess and occupy the territory. And he was unafraid of the power. Yeah, the, the Lord did give an assignment to Jehu, but he's not giving that same assignment to us. Jehu isn't like some parable or allegory that, and then we're the actual thing that it, Jehu's pointing to. That's ridiculous. Hell. And Jezebel was knocked down from her place of dominion, and the dogs ate her flesh. I say, let the Jehu generation arise. I say, let the, the spirit of the Lord rest upon you. I say today that a spirit of might, a spirit of power, a spirit of boldness be upon you. I see a new breed of apostolic warriors arising in this hour and knocking Jezebel down. Yeah, there's the NAR doctrine of the new breed. That's what that is. Wow. We need the word of the Lord in the land today. We need authentic prophetic ministry in the land today. Yeah, well, if we needed authentic prophetic ministry, um, we would mark you, Ryan, as the guy peddling the false non, well, you get it. Lisa Jehu anointing today. I say in the name of Jesus that the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That the Lord Yahweh the warrior rises up on the inside of you. And the anointing to cast out demon powers comes alive in you. And I say that Jezebel shall not rule and reign but a Jehu generation is arising and saying no to this cunning spirit and breaking its power and releasing the plans and the purposes of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Yeah, by saying, in Jesus' name, he just blasphemed. Because God didn't say any of this, nor did God tell Ryan Lestrange to say any of this. Ryan Lestrange is quite the strange fella. He's speaking on behalf of God without any authorization to say any of the things he's saying from God. And that is a problem. All right. We're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pyre Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to 
take a listen to uh, Todd Bentley and Patricia King regarding Jewish New Year prophecies, and then Lance Walnow and God's chaos candidate, Donald Trump. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> no, oh, no, oh, a pirate's life for me. We'll pillage, we plunder, we rifle, we loot, drink up, be hearty, yo ho. We kidnap and ravage and don't give a hoot, bring up, be hearty, yo ho. a large non-fat decaf mocha with no whipped cream two pumps of chocolate and diet soy milk for Tiffany oh actually it's just Tiff oh uh, sorry uh, Tiff then like thank you so much I've never made a drink quite like this before I can't even imagine what you call it my friends call it like the why bother but it sure doesn't stop me from loving it <laughs> Nice talking with you. Adios. I am so sorry about that. Anyway, where was I? All right, so you won't believe what happened to me on Sunday. So, like, you know how I've been trying to learn more about Jesus and God and stuff? Well, ever since I got into it, my friend Brittany has been begging me to go to her church. It's that big building on Michigan Street. It's got, like, a stage and a praise band. I mean, it's got like a ton of people, so the pastor must be pretty cool, right? Well, the sermon starts. I've got my Bible, my notebook, my pocket catechism, and my flower pen. All ready to hear about God. And what does he talk about? A bird. This guy went on some 20-minute bunny trail about a bluebird that landed on his windowsill. And I'm just sitting there like, what about Jesus? I mean, they had just had a laser light show about how much they loved him. Um, Hold that thought. I have to use the little girl's room. I'll be back in a sec. So Jeff said, wrecked him, wrecked him, you practically killed him. <laughs> oh, I am so sorry. I've accidentally dumped my white bother all over you. Your outfit is totally ruined. Here, let me use these only slightly absorbent napkins to wipe it up for you. All right, there, a little bit there, and uh, there. That seems to have gotten most, most of it. Here's my business card if the stains don't come out. I happen to own and run a dry cleaner's just down the road. Anyway, gotta run. Please take my card. As I was saying, 
I don't even think these people realize what Jesus did. Let me explain this to you. So, first of all, I'm like a sinner, and I need forgiveness, right? So God was like, I'm going to send my son. So Jesus came, and he died on the cross, and everybody's sins were forgiven, and we were all like, cool. So when I go to church, I want to hear about Jesus. But for some reason, these people don't even talk about Jesus. You know, if you think about it, the church is like totally God's house. So Jesus invited all of us to his forgiveness party, and we all shut up and said that we loved him, and then we completely ignore him. That is so rude. Not only is it rude to God, but it's a total ripoff for me. I want to hear about how my sins are forgiven. But instead, these people are like, let me tell you my life story. Um, excuse you. You think that your birds are more important than God? That is so rude. Honey, what happened to your shirt? This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Morning. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that just because somebody reads an Old Testament story and says that God is saying that the Jehu generation is arising doesn't mean that that's actually what that text means. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount that you pick. That's right. There are four ranks in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. After that, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then the Coup de Gras, the, 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 the pinnacle crew member is a quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Um, the more crew members we have, the more sure our financial foundation is from month to month. Of course, we always have gifts that we send out to those who join our crew for the first time. And of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith 
and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, we're going to continue with our Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Extravaganza. And so let's do a little bit more music and then we'll continue. So I was having this wedding and and we had, we, well, we didn't have, we had Shabbat. Mm, Shabbat Shunday. All right, so uh, we're going to uh, head over to uh, Todd Bentley's Fresh Fire Ministry. I don't know what to call this thing. And uh, we're going to be listening as he explains to us the importance of the prophetic year um, 577. Yeah, that's right. The prophetic year 577, because, I mean, it's uh, Rosh Hashanah time, which means it's time for the uh, the Jewish New Year. And, of course, you know, hey, it's the year 577, uh, 5777, according to the Jewish calendar. So, you know, there's got to be something important about that, right? Right. Here's Todd Bentley to explain. Let's give the Lord a mighty shout tonight. Hallelujah. Mighty shout this morning. We've been here the last nine days. It's been absolutely amazing. And uh, last night, I'm still buzzing. You know, it's a good Holy Ghost service when you don't get to bed till 3.34 in the morning. And uh, I actually got done writing my message for this morning, putting my thoughts together for the prophetic word. And... uh, then the Lord started speaking to me about how we we're going to deal with, and I don't know how it's going to happen this morning, but he said the church was going to start dealing with um, a spirit of mammon in Babylon. And I said, Lord, I've never done any study on the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of mammon. I don't even know what we're talking about. And- right, the spirit of Babylon and mammon. Wow. Oh, the, and the Lord told you this directly. Okay. He said, well, we're going to overcome the spirit of Babylon and mammon because it's keeping the people of God from prosperity and increase. Oh, no. Oh, no. We got we got spirits that are keeping us from prosperity and increase. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, I want to truly be able to release the true riches of the kingdom. Well, if God wants to be able to release the true riches of the kingdom, don't you think he has the right to do that whenever and whenever he wants to? Why would God be limited and not able to release all of these riches to us? It's a contrary demonic spirit working together with pride and greed and poverty. Uh. Spirit of poverty, greed, and uh, pride work together with Babylon and mammon. And really, it's amazing, as I did a study to almost 4 o'clock in the morning... Uh, in the Holy Ghost on how to overcome the spirit of Babylon. So, so you did this study in the Holy Ghost. Wow, yeah, that, that's impressive. How'd you do that? In the spirit of mammon. And uh, maybe the Lord will touch on that a little bit tonight. But it is something that I believe we're going to see break in 2017. 
And uh, we're going to, as we're moving into that. Now, when I say moving into 2017, we automatically think about next year. When I'm talking about the Lord's timetable and the Jewish New Year, today is the new beginning. So we're entering into the next cycle. In fact, we're currently entering into a new seven-year cycle after a time of Sabbath and a Jubilee year. And there's a lot of things I want to touch on in my message this morning in just a few moments about what you can expect from this new year, from this new beginning. And I'm not talking about waiting till January 1st, 2017. Right now and over the next 10 days, we are entering in to what's known as the 10 days of awe. The 10 days of awe. We're beginning tonight, sundown, which is happening pretty soon as I'm preaching here in Israel. From sundown to sundown today and October 3rd begins the two days of what they call Rosh Hashanah. And then we'll come out of the Feast of Trumpets and we continue into the 10 days of awe, which lead right up to Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. It's a 10-day window. And there's a lot of things that happen today and over the next 10 days. And I want to be really clear, I'm not a Jewish you know, professional in the sense of all the charts and dates and numbers and observe all the festivities. I'm not a old covenant under the law kind of a guy. <laughs> You're not an old covenant under the law kind of guy. So what you just looked up all these phrases and feast days and just rattled them off, you know, uh, oh, you know, the Rosh Hashanah, you know, feast of trumpets, days of awe thingy, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Right. Um, but I can draw on the prophetic shadows. I can draw on the prophetic types. And uh, the prophetic types and shadows have been fulfilled in Christ. Yeah. And uh, as much as I believe and thank God that we just came out of a Jubilee year, in Christ, every day in every year is Jubilee. So we understand that because of what's been fulfilled in Christ and the finished works, we're not trying to go back and observe all the seven major festivals of Israel. But in looking at Pentecost, the Feast of First Fruits, or looking at the Feast of Ingathering or the Feast of Booths, there's so many prophetic things to be gleaned. So I started studying just a little bit um, right here seven, eight years ago, and I started to look at the prophetic significance of what actually happens as we head into the Jewish New Year. What happens in the spirit realm? What happens during the 10 days? What happens in the spirit realm? Is of all. What's a prophetic type? And what do you have to say, Lord, about the new year? It would be no different than if I would get a word about the new year and we celebrate New Year's Eve going into the new year, January 1st. And, and we get all the prophetic words. We read them on the Elijah list. Everybody wants to know. <laughs> read them on the Elijah list. Okay, so we got all these prophetic words for the new year well we got a new year coming it's right now because the jewish calendar uh -huh. what the lord is saying for 2017 well if you really want to hear what the lord is saying over the next year and over the next seven year cycle that revelation is being released right now uh, really it's being released right now uh-huh did you get a memo or did you get an email from the holy spirit saying that how do you know that on a date that does not happen the way that it's happening right now in a thousand years. It's a um, what hasn't happened in a thousand years? Very unique date. It's five seven seven seven. 
Oh, yeah. Five, seven, seven, seven. You know what that means, right? Yeah. It means absolutely nothing. That's really what it means. It means the same thing as, you know, 2017. Yeah. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about that this morning and bring some prophetic uh, revelation. All right, so he's going to bring us some prophetic revelation for the for the new year. You know, it's being released right now. Okay, well, let's fast forward and see what it is that God's releasing. The Lord kept asking me is he said, "What do you think happens after a jubilee?" Yeah, what what what, do you th- what does happen after a jubilee? I'm glad God asked you that question. What happens after a Sabbath year. Yeah. What happens after the 7th and the 49th? And the 50th. What happens after 50 50s, 70 jubilees, 120 jubilees? He said, there's a new seven-year cycle that begins immediately following. Spiritually. Right, yeah. A new spiritual seven-day, seven-year cycle thingy, right. All the old cycles and patterns and behaviors are being completed. Uh And I have a new seven-year opportunity before me to see my land grow. A new seven-year opportunity to see my land grow, right? Yeah. To prosper, to see fruitfulness. Mm. So I'm speaking that out in the Spirit today. You're speaking that out, right? Yeah. A new seven-year cycle to see opportunity for fruitfulness in your land thingy, right? Yeah. A cutting away. Right. Take up the sword, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. One sword, 300 men, overcame all those thousands. So is God giving out swords too? Say, Lord, anoint me with the sword. Anoint me with true anointing. I call it the preacher's anointing. I want to see God anoint the Lennon Rayburn Hills again. Anoint the Steve Hills again. Anoint the Charles Finney's again. I want to see God anoint the preacher's preachers again. I want the kind of preaching that cuts, convicts. Well, that would take God's word. I mean, after all, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, but what do I know, you know? Curses! It's a lie! I'm tired of flying in the face of witchcraft and sickness and disease and bondage, and we don't have enough sword to cut it all away! Yeah, right. We don't have enough sword to cut away sickness and disease, yeah. That's the problem. We have not enough sword. I don't think the doctors use swords when they're cutting disease out of people, you know. You need to take the sword. You understand what I'm saying? You need to take the word of God, the truth of God's word, and you need to use it to cut down and to cut away and to cut off whatever you need to cut off in your life. Some of you need to cut off agreement with the enemy. You need to cut off agreement with anxiety. Cut off agreement with depression. Cut off agreement with the gossip and the slander. Maybe they need to cut off agreement with a false prophet and false teacher, Todd Bentley, you know? Let me show you something you maybe have never saw. Okay, you do that. In Proverbs real quick. This is what God's cutting off okay. in Proverbs chapter 6. All right, so God, have... God's cutting off because, you know, we're ending the new prophetic cycle thingy because of Rosh Hashanah, right? Yeah. The moment to turn in your Bible quickly. So Pro- God's cutting something off from Proverbs 6, right? Chapter 6, God's cutting off these sins. This is a part of the message right now. Just feeling this in the Holy Ghost. You're you're feeling this in the Holy Ghost, okay. Cutting off the lying tongue. Look at Proverbs chapter 6. Yeah, if God were cutting off the lying tongue, yours would be the first to go, yeah. 
these six things, seven, seven deadly sins. Seven, seven, seven. Ready? These are the seven sins listed in Proverbs 6, verse 16, 17. These are seven sins, the most detestable, hated sins of the Lord. Number one, a proud look. Number two, a lying tongue. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. So because we've come out of the year of Jubilee and we're starting a new seven-year cycle, God's going to cut off the seven deadly sins because, you know, it's the year five, seven, seven. Wow. Well, okay. Well, no more. We, we, well, in fact, we can just, you know, put, close the book on the seven deadly sins, folks. They're now history. Yeah, we, they will never come. God's cutting them out. So, you know, they, they won't ever be back to, uh, to bother us again. I'm, very happy about that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like him anyways. So, okay. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, it's just nonsense. Why anyone would think this is from God, I have no idea. Talking about, you know, baffled why people think things are coming from God when it's clearly, obviously just absurd uh, and false in a twisting of God's word. We're going to head over to Patricia King's XP Media Studios as her and her friends, you know, like Robert Hodgkins, explain the significance of, you know, 577, you know, and the new year and how we as Christians can celebrate the new year twice a year. And that means that, you know, there's prophetic seasons and things like that that, you know, that are coming and God is going to give us a prophecy for the new year twice a year now. Uh huh. <laughs> Here's Patricia King to explain. Okay. Tonight we, we knew that this celebration was going to be very prophetic. This year is five, seven, seven, seven. And the Hebrew calendar is based on how many years from creation. And so we celebrate creation. We celebrate what God is about to create in these coming uh, days of this following year as well, creating in your life. And the Gregorian calendar, it is, it is based on the life of Christ. So we like celebrating both. In fact, we can have a New Year celebration every day because, you know, we enjoy celebrating the Lord so much. But Right, yes. Forget that just Anno Domini, you know, the year of our Lord and counting time since Christ. So passe. Let's go BC now, okay? We'll, we'll celebrate it all. This is a very, very significant time of year for us as a ministry. And oh, yeah. Very significant. Yeah, very significant. Yeah, because, you know, 577. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, you know what that means, right? And for believers. And about a month or two before Rosh Hashanah, God has our ministry postured before him to just align our hearts with him for, for his, for his, his conviction to come to us so that we can align. But he also. What do you mean he, God has your ministry postured so that you can align? What do any of those words mean? promises to us for the new year and for years we have been celebrating this time of year the head of the year the feast of trumpets celebrating the lord's um, entrance into this year he crowns it with bounty so when we posture ourselves for that blessing it comes on us for uh-huh so when we posture ourselves for blessing uh-huh you know what that means right that's code talk for 
Sow a seed offering. Whole year. So we have words to deliver tonight, and some of our friends are prophets. I know that Julie Meyer, I know that you're watching tonight, and that your healing rooms out there are all gathered together watching, and we're really blessed to have you um, share a word. I'm going to be sharing that on your behalf in a little bit. We also have Matt Sorger and Stephen Springer and Stacey Campbell who have also submitted words concerning this year. So, when- oh, yeah, right. Why should we believe any of these Bible twisters and false teachers? Are- actually hearing from God? Hear what the Spirit is saying. You know, um, it, it will possibly... If I want to hear what the Spirit is saying, I just need to open up my Bible and read it. ...us to receive that blessing. How many of you are postured to receive blessing for this coming year? Amen? So, Robert Hodge... <laughs> are you postured to receive blessing this year? Oh, I haven't thought about that. Um... What posture do I need to be in in order to posture myself for blessings this Rosh Hashanah? Uh, you know, I'm I'm a little confused. You know, do I need to be in a seated posture? Do I need to be bent over? Do I need to be standing up? You know, what posture do I need to be in in order to receive these blessings? Why don't you come forward right now and share the words the Lord has given you and um, some of the ones that he's given our friends, and it's, it's going to be awesome. So are you ready to hear, hear the word? You're not going to hear the word. You're going to hear words, but it, it, this, these aren't from God. These words are from the individuals who are speaking. All right. Now, as, as I said earlier, we've got a very full, very rich night for you guys. I want to let you know that God has given me four prophetic words for the coming year. Four? Wow, that's impressive. Wow. Four whole prophetic words. Yeah, okay. I'm going to share one of them tonight because we want to make sure we get to all the other people's words as well. But then on Tuesday, Patricia and I are going to be doing a special uh, Facebook Live event where we'll be sharing all the words that God has given us for the coming year. But I wanted to, I wanted to highlight the first one God gave me for this coming year. And it's, it's a simple word, but I believe it's going to be very meaningful to many of you. And it's this. God is hitting the reset button. Oh wow, yeah, God's hitting the reset button. That that's oh, wow, that's that's so helpful, right? Yeah. That God is about to hit the reset button and this is not just a fresh start, it's a new beginning. And what I mean by that is what he was showing me is it's not just allowing us to go back to the beginning and start again. It's not just a fresh start, but he's going to be removing failures, frustrations, um, fears. He's gonna- what does it look like when God removes a failure? What does that mean? He's taking away disappointments, discouragements, dissolution. What does it look like when God takes away a discouragement? I- I'd like to know what that looks like and delays, all those things that have tripped us up or trapped us and kept us from moving forward, God is about to remove all of them and hit the reset button. What he told me is this is going to be a personal genesis. A, A personal genesis. Okay. All right. So God told you that. All right. And we know in Genesis, it says where there was darkness and chaos, where there was void, the Holy Spirit hovered and the word of the Lord came and said, light be and 
There was no discussion. There was no debate. There was no delay. Light came. And for many over this last season, not just this last year, but this last season, there's been things that have felt like chaos. There's been things that have felt like darkness. We talked about at the beginning, things that felt like a furnace of affliction. Yeah, this feels like somebody giving a horoscope. Um, This feels like a fortune teller. This feels weird because apparently this is a one-size-fits-all prophecy. It's a prophetic onesie, you know. Frustrations like, is this word ever going to come? Is the business ever going to take off? Is the legal problem ever going to be removed? I declare over you that God is hitting the reset button and you are about to have a personal genesis. And w- Man, yeah, yeah, God's going to hit the reset button and give you a personal genesis. I, I don't know what it means, but wow, the people there are really impressed. Okay, whoa, yeah, I feel like I won the lottery or maybe I didn't. I Did I win it or not? I mean, God's hitting the reset button. What's ex- I mean, you know, when my computer acts up and sometimes I got to restart it, you know, um, so it's kind of like hitting the reset button when you restart your computer. I mean... All that does is just kind of bring you back to, you know, where the computer can operate again. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm not impressed. In fact, um, I think what I might do, and uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do this. I'm going to um, save some more of these prophecies and and dole them out piecemeal over the next <laughs> next week or two of uh, fighting for the faith, because I, wow, that's bizarre. All right, moving along, we're still under the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Extravaganza. It's time to head over to the Jim Baker Show, as uh, <laughs> as Jim Baker is uh, turns the microphone over to Lance Wallnow, who is going to reveal to us um, well what God has spoken to him regarding God's chaos candidate, Donald Trump. Here we go. Would you introduce him, Absolutely. Dr. Lance Walnaw? Yes, so Dance, Dr. Lance Walnaw. Uh, now, Lance Walnaw. We, we, have been, we have been struggling with this name. I don't even know who he is yet. This is, I just met him. We just met. Yes. Yeah. Dr. Lance Walnaw, he's an internationally recognized speaker and, he, and a business consultant. And he's actually one of the premier speakers on the subjects of cultural transformation. And he currently directs the Lance Learning Group, a strategic teaching and consulting company that's actually based out of Dallas, Texas. Lance has shared platforms with some of the most incredible authors, even John Maxwell, and lectured at universities like Harvard, like MIT, to the London School of of Theology. And he's a doctorate in ministry with a specialization uh, in marketplace from Phoenix University Theology and MA from Southwestern Theological Seminary, where he also taught as an adjunct uh, professor. And so, wow, okay, so that's a lot already. And like we were talking about, he has just finished this absolutely incredible book, uh, God's Chaos Candidate. Just a few weeks old. Yes. And so... Get it tonight. Yeah, Lance Walnow, the guy who, one of the guys who gave prophecy regarding the Super Bowl that didn't pan out. And please welcome my new friend, Dr. Lance Walnow, please. 
Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you, guys. I feel like they're going to give him the keys to Grace Street, you know. It's always uh, humbling. My primary way people introduce me uh, is interesting. Most people have never heard of who I am, so I'm the best, probably the most well-known, unknown person I know. The uh, calling of God sometimes takes you into public places, but a lot of the action isn't actually in public. A lot of the great activity is hidden away, and it's in unusual places. And I think that uh, I think the next move of God is going to be more a saint's move than a celebrity move. It's going to be made up of uh, people who aren't necessarily well known in earth, but who are well known in heaven. And when I found myself at uh, Trump Towers, for instance, I was finishing a book. I was working on a book on transformation. I'd never written a book before. And so I had publishers and people wanted me to write for them. And, and uh, I really just didn't, uh, I didn't know how much to tell because a lot of stories that happen are, are personal. They're secret. You can't, you can't necessarily be a ninja and be advertising what you're doing all the time. But I felt like... Uh, it was time to write. How is transformation happening? How are nations being affected by the gospel? And how are nations being lost? America is in the challenge of its uh, survival because we really haven't understood the mechanisms of how to shape culture. We don't know how to shape a nation. And it might be that in a matter of days now, in 20 days, we're going to make a decision that is going to affect the next 40 or 50 years of what America is like. And that's why I know that uh, Jim feels so strongly about this election. That's why I'm glad that I'm here right now. So let's talk for a minute about the prophetic destiny of the United States, where we are as a country, what shapes culture because... The prophetic destiny of the... You know what that is? I believe... You know, I was reading your book upstairs in the condo uh, in the room that I have, and I was fascinated about how much our thinking is tracking along the same lines. For instance, I believe that when Daniel says that the, the, uh, the book, when he got the prophecies in Daniel, the book is sealed up until the time of the end. I believe we're living in the day when there's a breaking of seals. And what that means is that so much of... You believe we're living in a day of the breaking of seals, really? Um, okay. It's been taught up until now has been conjecture about what God actually is going to do. And if you're, um, if you're operating with conjecture, then you don't have the confidence to know how to navigate. So what if God is about to break out on the earth in an extraordinary move of his spirit? What if? Yeah. Uh, uh, what does that mean? I mean, so what if? What if he isn't? What if he's, what if he's going to break out with a less than extraordinary, you know, move of the spirit kind of thingy? What if? What if? What are you doing here? And he is going to do so in shaping nations in ways that we haven't seen. And what if America is right now about to engage a prophetic journey itself? Uh, What if? What if America is going to engage a prophetic journey? Right. That's exactly like the sentence, blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. Yeah. 
I don't know what that means, but there was a noun, there was a verb, and you know, and you know, it was a properly constructed sentence, but it doesn't mean anything. We, the greatest uh, nation since uh, Rome in terms of military power, and since World War II, with the guarantor of peace and democracy in the world, what happens? If America doesn't protect its own blessing and it doesn't guard its own privileges, well, then America, in a sense, becomes a parable. In the book that I wrote, and I just released it, it's interesting, as I wrote the book uh, this last year. As the name a, of it is God's Chaos Candidate, Donald Trump and the American Unraveling. New book. I actually had another book I was going to release. And the moment I went to Trump Towers, the Lord said to me, your assignment is Donald Trump and the American unraveling. I had to literally stop what I was working on and say, well, first of all... So you're claiming divine inspiration for your book. Uh-huh. What is it about Donald Trump? He's just a candidate running with like 15 or 16 other candidates. What makes him any different than anyone else? And the Lord said, Donald Trump is a wrecking ball to the spirit of political correctness. And uh, immediately, I God God said that. Oh, okay, knew that he was going to redefine the entire narrative of how electoral politics was going to operate in America. People want to treat him as though he's some kind of a an aberration, a fluke, when in fact he isn't. He is the uh, he is the single um, candidate that God from the beginning had separated from a pack of. By the way. So God separated Donald Trump from the pack. Huh. So if you don't vote for God's separated candidate, are you sinning? Um, is, is it a mortal or a venial sin if you don't vote for God's candidate? Very great evangelical candidates were running. What was it about Donald Trump that, uh, that attracted the Lord? I'll tell you what I believe it is. The, uh, at the end of my first trip to Trump Towers, I was in a meeting with the original group of evangelicals who were gathered together, and I came home and said, why am I even involved with electoral politics? This isn't really what I want to do. I'm involved with business, consulting, and stuff like that. And the Lord said something interesting. He said, I'm answering your prayer. Oh, uh, what? I said, what prayer? And the Lord said, every time you pray in tongues, you say you want to see America get restored and saved. And I'm... Uh-huh. Really? ...getting you involved. And I realized it. I had never... Oh, so Donald Trump and his writing of this book is, is an answer to the prayers that he's been praying, but didn't even know he was praying because he was, wasn't praying in English. Actually... For a moment, thought, and I'm Pentecost. I'm unabashedly Pentecostal. I, I think the gifts of the Spirit are indispensable to what we've got to do. I think Daniel operated the way that he did because he was he's moving in the gifts of the Spirit. And I feel that, you know, I'm praying in the Spirit all the time, and I'm actually asking God to change and save America, and evidently he must be getting involved with Donald Trump. So let's talk about this guy. Uh -huh. So God's getting involved with Donald Trump. Now I'm going to switch programs. We're going to head over to... Uh, the firing line program with um, <laughs> with uh, Michael Brown, and uh, he recently interviewed uh, Lance Wall now on his program, and uh, we'll note just a couple of things in this interview with Lance Wall now. 
who is a major guy in the New Apostolic Reformation. Uh huh. He's the guy with the roadmap for conquering the seven mountains of mandate by which we take dominion of the earth. Yeah, we've noted that on previous episodes of Fighting for the Faith. But here is Michael Brown's interview with um, Lance Walnow regarding God's chaos candidate. You know, the one that God's involved with right now. The one that God separated from the pact. That would be Donald Trump. Here's Lance Walnow and Michael Brown. Without further ado, Lance, welcome to the line of fire. Well, it's good to be uh, with you again, my dear friend. Yeah, we had a great time hanging out in Dallas. Uh, you've been in Israel and back since then, correct? Yes, yes. I was down at the Knesset and uh, meeting with the diplomats, global leaders. Who, and you would be surprised. I was shocked to see how many African leaders actually like Donald Trump. I don't. I wouldn't have expected it. I would have thought that the 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 um, the African American vote is like ninety percent skewed against him. And it was a very unusual thing. It was just like a sociological awakening, like, oh, the whole world isn't the United States. Interesting. All right, Lance, let's just start here. We'll take two minutes. We've just got a short opening segment. And explain what you mean by God's chaos candidate. And then we'll start to unpack this. We'll go to the Cyrus prophecy. I'll raise my questions, and you'll present your case. What do you mean by God's The Cyrus prophecy. Candidate. I mean that America is in a serious unraveling, and you know it too. You speak about this. The direction that the Obama uh, administration, the progressives in general, in academia, um, in media, in politics, you've seen what's happened within culture, within the LGBT community. You're, you're an able and sympathetic you know, um, uh, advocate for a Christian worldview. All of this stuff. Mounted on top of what's going to be a $20 trillion deficit is the end of an era. I am predicting uh, with uh, an almost mathematical certitude that America is heading for a fourth crucible. And uh, we've gone through three that defined us as a nation. I don't think we have the moral substance to make it through the fourth crucible. I think Donald uh, Trump is God's... um, provision for this because america is not a christian so donald trump is god's provision for america's fourth crucible uh-huh nation we've fellow sleep at the switch as christians and so god's given us someone who has a winston churchill lincoln thatcher capacity to be shaped and led by the lord but we're going to have to accept these individuals on God's terms, not on our holy standard terms. Uh-huh. So um, apparently I need to bend the knee and accept Donald Trump as God's candidate on God's terms. Huh. Wow. Um, hmm. This takes politics in a very strange direction. So apparently you're sinning if you don't vote for Trump. Apparently, you're not getting on board with what God wants to do on God's terms if you don't vote for Trump. Um, I have a real serious problem with playing the God card when it comes to Trump. It's one thing to say a candidate stands with what God's word says, the written word of God, and you know, and it believes in preserving the U.S. Constitution and things like that. That's that's one thing. Okay, this person is pro-life. They will uh, that you know they share a Christian worldview. The judges that they will put into office will you know will be ones who are not radical leftists and things like that. That's one thing, okay. But to say Trump is God's chosen candidate 
for some forthcoming fourth crucible event and he's God's provision for this, that is a that is a horse of a different color. What we're hearing here is, well, heavy-handed manipulation using the God card and so-called direct revelation and prophecy. Now, when, when you say on God's terms rather than our holy standard terms, uh, if I look at someone like Martin Luther, he was like a bulldozer in a china shop. On the one hand, he took on the Catholic Church and the society of his day, but he had— Nobody s- voted for Luther. Many rough and violent edges. He did a lot of harm as well. Uh, isn't that a potential oh. danger? Of course it's a potential danger. And so and who are we to argue with the Lord over the choice of his instrumentality? And who are we to argue with the Lord? Oh, my, 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 Mm-hmm. So this is going on in Michael Brown's program. Yeah, it's yeah. So if you're if you don't vote for Trump, you're 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 just you're standing in the way of what God is doing, wants to do. Thus saith the Lord, says Lance Wall now on Michael Brown's radio program. Wow. Yeah, I I think you get the point. So again, it's one thing to say that a candidate shares Christian values or a candidate you know, is supporting and, and defending the Constitution. It's a whole other thing to say, hey, you don't want to stand in the way of what God's doing. You know, we, we need to accept God's candidate on God's terms because, you know, if you don't vote for Trump, well, you're opposing God now. Wow. So what do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard, on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Sermon review called Will You Cross Over With Me by Apostle Jane Hammond. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! Yeah! <laughs> 
And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Yeah, we're, we're going to hear from a, an apostle. Yeah. Didn't know there were any of those left. And I had no idea that there were women apostles. I mean, I'm so behind the times. Let's do this right. Hey, ho! The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Vision Church at Christian International in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. Apostle. Jane Hammond presiding. I'll go ahead and leave the introduction in because you'll hear that she is introduced, no joke, as an apostle. The name of the message, by the way, is Will You Cross Over With Me? Let's test the uh, biblical exegetical skills and (laughs) right handling of God's word skills by the apostle Jane Hammond. I would be willing to wager money that she doesn't have any skills when it comes to rightly handling God's word. You know, just saying, which should be proof enough that she ain't no apostle. Not only that, I mean, she wasn't there while Jesus was teaching or baptized. I have no reason to believe that Christ chose her to be one of his apostles, so I think you get the point. So let me back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's uh, the introduction of Apostle Jane Hammond uh, to teach us. Uh, Will you cross over with me? Here we go. Moved by his Holy Spirit. That's why it's just wonderful to allow ministry to take place as we're in that attitude of faith and worship and just creating an atmosphere where God loves to move. So turn to somebody and say, God has something special for you. Yeah, creating an atmosphere where God loves to move. Yeah, that's apparently what worship is all about. I've never seen that doctrine regarding worship anywhere taught in the Bible. Today, and let's welcome up Apostle Jane as she comes to minister. Uh, Apostle Jane. I mean, they're on just a first name basis with Apostle Jane. Oh, how cute. To us this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. Good morning, everyone. 
Um, I, we, um, Rebecca and Jermaine and I traveled out to Mercy Sacramento uh, this last week and saw God move in amazing ways as we prophesied over the young women at Mercy Multiplied Mercy Ministries Home in Sacramento and Vancouver uh, this past week. You know what? It never gets old. The prophetic word, the word of the Lord, the voice of God never gets old. Yeah, I seriously doubt you're hearing the voice of God, Jane. It is constantly a force. I'm pretty sure if you ever heard God's voice, it would tell you to repent of um, your false claims to being an apostle of Christ. ...of life to those that will hear it. And so I hope that when you come together in our church services that you really absorb what God is saying and that you write it in your heart so that you can uh, remember it throughout the week and allow it to carry you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, since it's not in your Bible yet, it's a little tough to highlight. But don't worry, I'm sure they're collecting all of these words of Apostle Jane so that they can add them to the back end of your Bible and makes highlighting them and memorizing them so much easier, you know? How many believe the word of the Lord can carry you? Amen? And while we were on the trip, I was relaying a story to Rebecca and Jermaine. Um, I spend a lot of time on airplanes. Sometimes I have the awesome opportunity to actually lead people to the Lord um, when I'm on the airplane. Because when, especially when I'm traveling alone and I'm sitting next to somebody, invariably the question will be, are you traveling for business or pleasure? I never quite know how to answer that because my business is pleasure, okay? My, I love to pour out the anointing of God and the pleasure of the Lord on the people of God. The anointing of the Lord and the pleasure of God. I have no idea what you're talking about. And so it's really a joy to do what I do. Um, but, you know, I can usually steer the conversation based on how I answer that question. I can say, well, I'm a pastor, uh, which God's word forbids, which should prove that all your claims to being a prophetess are false and they're lies. And they'll say, oh, a woman pastor, and we'll have that whole conversation. I can say, um, I'm a prophet, and they'll get up and they'll... No, you're a false prophet. Change seats. Um, sometimes what I like to do is I like to say, well, I help people interpret their dreams... And uh, that'll open up a whole conversation. I didn't even say anything about uh, the Lord at all, right? And yet, it'll open up a conversation where I can minister to them. I've actually led people to the Lord by interpreting their dreams. It's pretty cool. Um, And uh, just one time, I've never actually done this, but one time I would like to do it. I would like to say I'm an exorcist just to see what kind of reaction I get. Uh, yeah, that, that this talks to the NAR super emphasis on spiritual warfare thingy. I haven't actually done that, but I think it might be a fun reaction. I do cast out devils, so it is true, uh, but I haven't actually done that, okay? Um, but it's been interesting to watch the opportunities that the Lord brings t- for me to minister to people if you're really looking for those opportunities, and sometimes even when you're not. Um, One time I was studying my Bible on my iPad and a lady looked over my shoulder and looked at my iPad and said, is that the Bible on your iPad? And I said, yes. And she said, oh, I wish I could be a Christian, but I don't know how. Like how much easier does that get? Right? (laughs) I had a man that got bumped up to first class. He sat into first class and next to me and I'd, I'd been bumped up that day. And he said, you know what? I have no idea why I'm in first class. He says, I have no status. I bought the cheapest ticket online, but when they put me on the plane, they bumped me up to first class. I have no idea why I'm here. 
I must be here because I'm supposed to talk to you. What is it that you have that I need? <laughs> how awesome is that? You know, it's fascinating to me, you know, just how chock full of anecdotal stories these people are and how well well empty they are when it comes to actual biblical exegesis. It's they're so obsessed with themselves and telling their own life stories. It's the weirdest thing. <sighs> But one time I was on a plane coming back from California and I was flying from Los Angeles to Atlanta. This was a number of years back. And as I boarded the plane, I was seated next to a young uh, African-American gentleman. He was um, on the phone before we took off. He was quite obviously negotiating a movie deal at that point. He was kind of going back and forth um, with something that he was negotiating. And um, so when he got off the phone, um, he looked over at me and said, I'm, I'm sure you heard all that conversation. And I said, yeah, I, I did. And try not to eavesdrop, but when they're sitting right next to you, that's all you can do. And he said, and, and he said, yeah, sorry about that. I didn't mean to put my business all over the plane. And I just said, oh, that's okay. I said, are you somebody famous? Because I don't know who famous people are. I mean, I could probably be right next to some of the most famous people in the world, and I'm still not going to necessarily know it, okay? And I just said, are you somebody famous? And he kind of said, oh, not really. But since then, I've looked him up, and he's actually very famous. Um, but I'm not going to drop his name, okay? But I want to tell you this conversation that we had, because he was quite obviously involved in um, a lot of the entertainment industry, the music industry, um, uh, uh, movies, different things like this. And as we began to talk back and forth, you know, he started telling me about his life. He started telling me about the things that he did. And then he said, so what is it that you do for a living? And I said, well, um, my, my husband and I pastor a church in the panhandle of Florida. And he just said, kind of dismissively, but not meaning to be offensive. He said, yeah, I've never really had any need for the church. I don't think he was trying to offend me. I think he was just stating his response to the fact that I was a pastor. He said, I've never really had any need for the church. And out of my mouth came these words. I said, well, you know what? I'm really sorry about that. That's the church's fault. Uh, no, actually, it's not. Um, scripture is very clear that human beings are born dead in trespasses and sins, and that's the reason why they have the problems they have. And it, the job of the church is to preach the word, proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins so that they'll be brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And uh, it's not the church's fault that somebody is dead in trespasses and sins and blind like this. And he said, what? He said, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, I believe that if the church today acted like the church that Jesus had in mind when he went to the cross, when he rose from the dead, when he poured out his... You see, it's all, it's all your fault, church, that unbelievers don't find Christianity to be irresistible. If that church was the church that you were seeing in the, in the world today, you wouldn't be able to resist us. Yeah, somebody born dead in trespasses and sins and at war with God isn't going to go to any church. And I believe that that is true. You know what that man then said? He said, you know what? We got some time. We're flying from LA, to Los An from L.A. to Atlanta. He says, why don't you tell me about that church? Why don't you tell me about that church and what that church looks like? How many 
believe that God is bringing the church into its finest hour? Uh-huh, yeah. Um, with a female apostle claiming to be able to speak prophetically, I think if the church is coming into its finest hour, first thing that's going to happen, Jane, is that they're going to toss you overboard and brand you a heretic and never let you speak anywhere to any Christian group ever again. I mean, if we're coming into our finest hour, you know. I know that there's a lot of hostility in the earth today, but I am telling you the church is becoming the church that Jesus Christ died and gave his life to produce. Apparently, it hasn't done that yet. For 2,000 years, the church has just not been able to get it together. And we are going to be those that turn the world upside down. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Come on, we are going to be those that bring the kingdom of God into the seven mountains of culture. You're going to bring the kingdom of God into the seven mountains. Mm-hmm. No biblical text tells us to do that. Notice thick NAR here. And we are going to become a church that people on the outside look into and say, you know what? I want what they have. Um, false. Do- I want that life. False doctrine? Heresy? I want that joy. Come on. I look at their lives, and maybe they're not the richest. Maybe they're not uh, the most prosperous. Maybe they're not this or that. But guess what? They've got joy that is beyond anything I've ever experienced. They've got a vision. They've got a purpose. They've got a, a view of this world that it's an overcoming view. I want what they've got. Come on, guys. It's really not about the temporal, material things. Do do you have a biblical text that you're going to try to even exegete, or are you just going to keep spewing stuff that's coming off the top of your head? God wants to bless us, but it's not about those things. It's about what we carry when we carry the kingdom of God inside of us. When we were starting out in ministry, there's just no other way to say it. We were poor. Okay? I'd love to sugarcoat that for you. But we were pioneering. We were sacrificing. My children thought rich people were people that had orange juice in their refrigerator. Wow, Mom, they're really rich. They've got orange juice. (laughs) And my mother worked for a tax company back then, and she used to do our taxes. And she would shake her head when she would do our taxes to see what we earned back in those days. And you know what she said to us? She said, you are the richest poor people I know. What was she seeing? She was seeing that we had a life that was full, that was not limited by what was in our bank account, that was not limited by the circumstances that we were dealing with on a weekly basis, but that because of the buoyancy of the kingdom of God inside of us, every time circumstances tried to press us down, we were popping back up. Come on, I believe we need to get a view of the church that Jesus died to produce in the earth and understand that's where we're headed. Uh, no, if you think that's where you're headed, you're headed over a cliff. I mean, <laughs> there there were no female apostles in the church that Jesus set up. Um, and the job of a pastor, which you're definitely not— is to preach the word, which you're definitely not doing. I have no idea what this is, but it's just a total waste of time. You call this preaching? I don't know what this is. Now, Apostle Tom has been speaking the last several weeks. Oh, Apostle Tom. They, they, they're, they're apostles all up in there. Yeah, wow. 
about crossing over. How many believe that we are in a crossing over season? I want to read the scripture. Why would I believe I'm in a crossing over season? To you that he has been reading. Um, I want to read a parallel scripture first of all, and that's in Luke chapter 8. This is the parallel story. It says, now it happened on a certain day. Everybody say a certain day. That he, speaking of Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. Right. And who was Jesus talking to? Yeah, he he was talking to his disciples. Um, Yeah, the one day when he got into a boat. See, this is a descriptive text. Mm hmm. It's describing what really took place in human history. Jesus got into a boat and said to the disciples, let's go across to the other side of the lake. Mm-hmm. So um, this is not calling for us to go across anything ourselves. This is a season. This is that certain day. God is- uh, no, it really isn't. That day already passed. The disciples already crossed the lake. Yeah, in fact, ha- long ago, 2,000 years ago, they crossed that lake, yeah. Will you cross over with me? Uh-huh. So Jesus wants to know if I'm going to cross over with him. I have no idea what you're talking about. Will you cross over and be the church? Um, that's not what this text says. That I've, that I've called you to be. Will you cross over, like Pastor Greg was saying, coming out of a place called here into a place called there? Come on, you may not know what it looks like. It may be undefined. It may be uncertain. But God is calling us into a season of forward motion and advancement. Are you, you sure he's doing that? Because you just twisted the Gospel of Luke there, you know? To cross over to the other side of the lake. I love the blonde joke. Did you ever hear the blonde joke that there was a blonde on one side of the lake and she shouted to the blonde on the other side of the lake and she said, hey, how do you get to the other side? And the blonde shouted back, duh, you are on the other side. I like to tell blonde jokes. Y'all know why, right? Number one, I am not stupid. And number two, I am not blonde. Okay, so I can tell blonde jokes. All right, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. This is the, the verse that Pastor Tom's been reading. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross over to the other side of the lake. Now, right, again, descriptive text, Jesus gave orders to his disciples at the time to cross over, which has like no application for us in that way today. First version, he's asking them, let us cross over. In this one, it says he gave orders to cross over. Yeah, both are actually commands. Um, Yeah, they are. Wow, this is so bad. Wow, that's a little bit different, isn't it? It's kind of like, if you want to keep moving forward with me, you're going to have to leave your land of comfortability. You're going to have to allow me to stretch you out of your comfort zone because I'm saying if you want the things that I promised you, you're going to have to cross over and cross into a new place. I heard somebody say years ago, God came to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. 
Some of you just got a revelation about what's going on in your life. Okay? Yeah, I'm feeling afflicted listening to you. That's for sure. He gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. How many know sometimes when God says, let's cross over, you got to face some obstacles? Yeah, God's not telling me to cross over. This is just dumb. Or you get there. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping, and the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. How many have honestly ever maybe not said those exact words, but you kind of said something similar in a time of desperation? I'm drowning here, Lord. Come on, God, I need you to come and help me. I need you to save me. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked, just like he would a demon, the winds and the waves, and it became completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Yeah, that's really the punchline there. This text is about Jesus and who he is. You know, God in human flesh. We continue. We don't have the scripture up, but from there he went on into the land. And the first thing that he did when he landed on the other side is that he had to confront the demonic forces that were in the land. And so just by way of um, of maybe just reviewing the points that Apostle Tom has given to us. Yeah, I seriously doubt Tom's an apostle either, and I'm 100% convinced you're definitely not an apostle. And to say we are now in a crossing over season, let's look at some of the things that we need to to do and be. If we're going to be that church, if we're going to be the people that cross over, if we're going to be the people that leave casual, comfortable Christianity into the kind of Christianity that turns the world upside down, Here's the things that we've got to do. Number one, we've got to be pioneers. Uh-huh. So we've got to be pioneers in order to be the non-comfortable type of Christians. Okay. We've got to be people that have crossed over and left the past behind so that we can embrace the new things of the Spirit. How many like... Um, yeah, what do you mean I have to embrace the new things of the Spirit? What are you talking about? We have the faith once delivered to the saints... And I haven't heard you say anything that even remotely sounds like the faith once delivered to the saints. Change. How many like the new things? Come on, how many like change? Raise your hand. You're liars, all of you. (laughs) I'm sorry. Your pastor has called you a liar. That was really not very nice of me, was it? Uh, You're not a pastor. Statistically, only 3% of the population really likes change. The rest of the population, we like change when it happens to somebody else. Honestly, from up here on the platform, we can almost take role based on where you sit in church. I'm just saying. 
Some of you have your seat and you come in and if a visitor got there before you and they're in your seat, you kind of stand in the aisle, kind of looking at them, hoping they're going to get a word of knowledge that they're in your seat. And I wa- we watch you go someplace else in the church and it's like the rest of the church service, you're like, not as anointed as my seat. People don't, we don't like change. Change is difficult, okay? But the crossing over people are the people that have left the past behind and are willing to embrace the new and the change. Oh, are you one of the people who, who are willing to embrace the new? Because she read, the, you know, the verse that says Jesus said to his disciples, let us cross over to the other side. So are you embracing the new thing that the Holy Spirit's doing? That has nothing whatsoever to do with the text that she's mangling. And the uncertainty of all of it. Number three, the crossover people are people of awakening, waking up to your own faith that's inside of you so that you can accomplish great things. Remember the disciples woke Jesus up and he goes, why are you waking me up? Where's your faith? God's looking for a great awakening to come. And I believe, first of all, it's got to come inside of us. Number four, Apostle Tom taught us that crossing over people have defeated the spirit of fear. Let me say this. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is to be afraid and do it anyway. Come on. It's to face what you fear and overcome it. God's looking for people that are courageous. Yeah, I thought that Christ was calling sinners to repent and to be forgiven through the shed blood of Christ. Where are you getting this stuff? Because I'm not familiar with the God is looking for the courageous people passage. Where is that in the Bible again? Without fear, but who have conquered fear. Number five, crossover people walk in the glory of God and they demonstrate dominion. They said about Jesus, what? Yeah, how do I go about demonstrating dominion? Um, Where in the Bible am I told to do that? I'm a wee bit confused here because um, you don't seem to be handling God's word correctly at all. manner of man is this? What kind of man is this? And Apostle Tom helped us to understand that when God created us, he created us in his image, he created us in his likeness, he created us to subdue, to have dominion, to be fruitful, to multiply, and to rule the earth. Not just, not over one another, but... Are you ruling yet? To rule the earth. You were created to rule the earth. Well, get rolling. You know, you got to start taking over. Yeah, dominion. Yeah. Come on. And that's what we got to learn is that, you know, when he was preaching that, I wrote down the word dominion, and I realized that the root of the word dominion is to dominate. So either you dominate your circumstance. You can't even do semantics right. Or your circumstance will dominate you. Either you dominate your fear or your fear will dominate you. Come on, God is looking for a people that are able to rise up by the word of God, by the Holy Spirit, by Christ within, and be able to say, you know what, regardless of what... It's all up to you. God's looking. Are, are you this person that God's looking for? I hope you hope you are worthy, you know, because this is what God's looking for, you know. ...comes against me. I can be a ruler in this earth. I can have dominion over whatever I'm facing, and I can maintain my joy in the entire process. 
Come on, crossover people walk in the glory of God. Yeah. Where in the Bible, again, does it lay out all of the different, uh, well, ways in which we can understand that we're looking at a crossover person? I'm not familiar, again, with those texts. And are able to demonstrate that dominion. Does that mean everything always goes well for you? Probably not. But what do we do? How do we respond when it doesn't go well? Number six. Crossover people will confront demonic forces in the land that want to hold people captive. Yeah, are, are you confronting demonic forces in your land? Yeah, I, okay. If they're going to get set free, it's because you set them free. We're living in a day that God is looking at all the, the chaos and the confusion, all the things that are going on in the, in the earth, in our nation, and let me just say that if our nation is going to shift, it's going to be because the church shifts. Yeah, well, the church has shifted from orthodoxy into heresy, so it makes you wonder if that's what's behind the reason why society is falling apart, you know? It is important who sits in the White House. But it's more important who's sent out of God's house. Come on. We've got to understand that God's looking to the church to arise in this season of time. I want to talk. Yeah, it's, up to, it's up to you. I mean, God's waiting for the church to do its part. I mean, he's totally powerless up there. It's up to you. You better get busy. For a few minutes about what I feel like this crossing over means to us today. So we're going to talk a little bit about the time that we're in right now. Because as we mentioned earlier in the service, this is, today is actually um, a crossing over season in God's timetable on the Hebraic calendar. Now, for some of you... Oh, yeah. See, on the Hebraic calendar, it's a crossing over season time thingy. I, wow, I almost missed that. ...that yeah. are not familiar with this terminology. We are living in 2016, which is the Gregorian calendar. That's the Roman calendar. But there is a parallel calendar that is the Hebrew calendar, the Hebraic calendar, and it has a different set of years, and each year has a specific meaning. It has a specific focus uh, because each number in the Hebrew language actually is a word picture. Okay, so each each did you learn this from Amanda Wells letter? Each number is actually a word picture. And so we are looking into God's timetable and just seeing that if this is a Hebraic understanding that today is Rosh Hashanah, what does that mean? Well, Rosh Hashanah is called the head of the year. This is the Hebraic new year. Okay, they don't actually say Happy New Year. They say something else in Hebrew that I couldn't pronounce. But they do say something to greet each other to recognize this is a brand new season. Okay, so Happy New Year in Hebrew. It actually starts tonight at sunset. The festival goes through the 4th, the sunset of the 4th. And they consider this a crossing over season. As I mentioned earlier, it is also called the day of Yom Teruah. And Yom Teruah, we've talked about this word Teruah over this last year because we're, we're crossing out of the Jubilee year on the Hebrew calendar. But let me say this, is that I'm so thankful that we don't have to wait 
for a day on a Jewish calendar to have Jubilee because when Jesus came, Jesus stood up and he read from the book of Isaiah and he began to, to quote the, the verses about Jubilee and he basically was saying, I am your Jubilee. When you are in me, you get to have Jubilee every single day. Come on, you get to have your, your, your debts re, re forgiven. You get to have captives set free, blind eyes open, uh, mourning turned to dancing. You get to have the garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. You get to experience a divine reversal because every single day is jubilee when we are in Christ. That is the word teruah. It is the, the sound of jubilee, the sound of celebration, a shout of joy. She clearly has never studied Hebrew. Yeah, just make stuff up. Yeah. It is a, a, a sounding of an alarm that God wants to bring forth. If you want to go to that next slide, it is a time this particular year that we're crossing out of it is 5776, and we're crossing into, look at this year, 5 Seven, seven, seven. The year of the ruling sword. That's what that means hebraically. The year of the ruling sword. Now, this, um, if you'll go to the next slide, this is how they actually write the number seven. This is one of the scripts for the number seven for this particular word, Zion. Now, what Zion is, is it is the seventh letter of the Hebrew alphabet, okay? The sixth letter was Vav, and I'm going to show you why that's important. Vav, if you remember, was a hook that joined heaven and earth together. We talked about that this year. It's a hook that joins heaven and earth together. It joins men and women together. It joins generations together. It joins the past into our future. It joins things together and hooks things in to the purposes of God so that we can then begin to pull heaven down to earth. <laughs> really, uh, because the Hebrew letter Vav, you th say has a hook on it, we can pull heaven down to earth. This is make up your own Hebrew uh, definitions here. Okay. Amen. Every time you do a miracle, you pull heaven down to earth. Every time you pray for somebody and you prophesy the word of the Lord to them, you pull heaven down to earth. Every time you witness and share the gospel with somebody, you're pulling heaven down to earth. And you are making everything that's in heaven accessible into the earth. That's what Jesus did when he hung on the cross. Come on, Jesus was the ultimate vav. And the vav looks like a spike. It looks like a nail. It looks like a stake. And when Jesus was staked, he was vobbed to the cross, and he was hung there, hung there so that... He was vobbed to the cross? Oh, man, this is just nonsense. All men could see. He was making a declaration. From now on, when you believe in me, I give you full access to everything that heaven has available. That is what vob means. We're still in that time. No, that's just a definition you've attached to that letter. Cool thing is, is that this word Zion, this is the, the seventh letter. This is the, the symbol for seven. Is you see that leg right there? That's the Vav. And what's sitting on top of the Vav? A crown. God is just declaring, I am crowning you this year. With good really, really, God's crowning me. Uh huh. 
Right. I'm crowning you with my favor so that you can be my ambassadors to bring heaven to earth. I'm crowning you with my goodness. I'm crowning you with my glory. I'm crowning you with my anointing so that you can go out and be my representative. Jesus was known as the Zion man, the, the crowned man that brought heaven to earth. That's what uh, the Hebraic Christians actually called him, a crowned man, a Zion man, because he brought heaven down to earth. And so when we understand that this is the season that we're... Who called him that? Do you, do, can you give me some bibliography on that, please? Entering into, we understand that... Uh, that there is something that we need to see about this. Now, another way that they write Zion, and I didn't have a picture of it um, because I was wrestling with my iPad this morning and trying to stay saved, honestly, okay? I will have a picture for you again. But the way that you actually write the number seven, it looks a lot like a sword. It's just basically a, a line with a, a spike that comes down, and it is the symbol, the Hebraic symbol of sword. The word Zion means spiritual weapon or sword. It means also spiritual nourishment. I'm telling you people, this is a time that as warfare begins to increase, did you hear Pastor Greg? We didn't compare notes at all this morning. Pastor Greg's talking about this spiritual warfare that we're coming into, a new season of contending, a new season of battling to, to maintain and to advance the kingdom of God. We're going to have to engage on a different level. So number one, that means we're going to have to spiritually nourish ourselves and not just wait to get to church to get fed. We've got to learn how to get in the Word. We've got to learn how to worship in our own homes. We've got to learn to pray in the Spirit to stir up our most holy faith and to edify ourselves. We've got to learn to spiritually nourish ourselves so that we will be ready in this year of 777. <laughs> That's triple sevens. And if seven stands for a sword and contention, y'all feel it ramping up. But I want to let you know something else the number seven stands for. I think you can go to the next slide. The number seven also stands for, okay, let's read this scripture. Revelation chapter 19. Chuck Pierce calls it the year of the ruling sword, and he uses this scripture. It says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread down the winepress of his fury of the wrath of the Almighty God. So, it sounds like it's an intense time. I believe it's going to be a year and a season of contending, a season of battle, uh, but also a time of peace. We'll see that in just a minute. Romans chapter 16, verse 20. I love this, this verse. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Come on, put him under your feet right now, right where you sit. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. Put him under my feet. R really, that's the application here. This woman just refutes herself. I mean, this is just nonsense. Underneath your feet. The God of peace will soon... That says crunch Satan. 
I think spell check, spell checked crush and turned it into crunch. <laughs> it works, huh? Still works, right? He will, he will soon crunch Satan underneath <laughs> your feet. Say my feet. <laughs> my husband said Captain Crunch. All right. Go ahead and go to the next slide. I want to show you what this, this seven actually means. Because, see, what we've got to understand is that God's bringing us into a time of peace through strength. Peace through strength is actually a military um, strategy, okay? It was employed, I think, originally in history by Hadrian, who ended up building a wall over in the UK. We won't get into all that. But more recently, we know that Ronald Reagan actually employed these words using peace through strength to see the communist wall that had separated east and west come down. Now, let me say this, is that that wall had stood there for decade after decade after decade. And for the people that were on the other side of that wall, it seemed like an impossible thing to ever say, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. How many think that when Ronald Reagan said that, Gorbachev went, oh, yeah, I'll get right on that. Come on, sometimes we live with decades or generations of hopeless situations, a turning that was for the negative, a turning that was for our detriment, for our, for our disintegration as a people, as a nation. But I'm telling you, in one day, those of you that remember it, in one day, God shifted something in the earth and suddenly, everybody say suddenly, that wall came down. Yeah, suddenly there was a shifting. The major NAR code buzzwords they are constantly throwing around, but none of it makes any sense. Ronald Reagan decreed it. He said, tear down that wall. But I want you to know what happened before that. About six months before Ronald Reagan made that declaration, we were in a prophets conference right down here at Sandestin. And a prophet got up and said, the Lord shows me that he is getting ready to orchestrate a series of events that will cause the wall, the communist wall that is built and stood for generations to come down in a day. How many sometimes when you hear a word like that, you, 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 you want to say, yes, I believe that. But more than likely, what we actually think is, I'll believe that when I see it. Who was the prophet? I, I want to see the proof. Come on. So we heard it prophesied. Then we heard our president decree it. And then it was just a few years later that we actually... See, the real reason why the wall came down is because Ronald Reagan decreed it. Who knew? We saw the fulfillment and the culmination. I'm telling you, we are in that season right now where things that look impossible, where things that look far out of reach, where situations that look helpless and hopeless, God is releasing words through his prophets. He's releasing words through... No, he, there are no living prophets. All these people that you claim are prophets, including yourself, are charlatans. 
they're not real prophets. Those that he's placing in authority throughout the earth. And I'm telling you, we're getting ready to see some shifting and some shaking in the nations that's going to turn everything around, some of it in a day. Yeah, our, that wall had been there our whole adult life. And most of our parents, most of their adult life, come on. Some of you are, are thinking, sometimes you get a prophetic word and you're like, oh, that's so impossible. But God is saying, this is a season of those kinds of suddenly. This is a season. Look at what uh, seven is the number of peace, of rest, prosperity, completion, perfection, and it's the number of covenant. When you actually look this up in the scripture and it says um, seven times they did this or he offered seven rams or he offered seven lambs or he offered 70 lambs or all of these, this is the word Sheba, Sheba. And Sheba actually is the word covenant. It's how Abraham cut covenant with God and he named the place Beersheba. Beersheba, the place of the covenant. This, this number seven is so important in Hebraic culture and in biblical culture because literally when you cut covenant, they said you would repeat the oath seven times. This word Sheba literally means to seven yourself. To seven yourself to someone. In other words, you're making a covenant with somebody that cannot be broken. We serve that kind of God. That is a covenant God. Come on. And I believe that we're going to come into a time where we're going to begin to see some things happen. Now, I want to touch on one last thing about... We're going to see some things happen. Yeah, I don't know what those things are, but we're going to see some things. You know, a shaking. So... You know, I wasn't being specific, so whenever something happens, I'll just say that that's the thing. Uh huh. Zion, in our last year, Hebraic year on the calendar, 2007 and 257, 67 on the Hebrew calendar, there was this really interesting word that got released that those of you that have been around would know, and those of you that haven't been around probably wouldn't know. And one of our ministers up in Canada, Alex Florence, he headed up our Canadian base at that time, was praying one day, and the Lord said, I am going to give you replevin in 2007. Now, we like these words that rhyme with the, with the year. It kind of makes it easy to repeat and kind of get the word of the Lord in your heart. But he was like, that sounds awesome, God. I have no idea what that means. So he looked it up, and here's the definition of replevin. It is an edict or decree by a judge authorizing a person to take back what has been wrongfully stolen or taken from them. That is a writ that is written by the judge. It's called a writ of replevin. Is this right, Wayne? Do do they still use this terminology? Okay. A writ of replevin that gives them the right to go take back what belongs to them. Come on. God is decreeing a new season, I believe, of replevin. Yeah, th- this is just getting ridiculously silly at this point. This is utter nonsense. This woman claims to be an apostle. It, she was introduced as one. She isn't rightly handling a biblical text. She's just spewing stuff off the top of her mind, blaming it on God the Holy Spirit. None of this is sound biblical teaching. None of this has anything to do with the doctrines that we are to believe that are revealed in Scripture. And this is a complete and utter train wreck. There's no way to recover this. And, you know, I'm looking at the time here. 
no joke, we are only halfway through this particular sermon, and there is no way I am going to subject myself or you to any more of this, because it just goes from absurdity to absurdity, nonsense to nonsense, listening to this woman who claims to be an apostle just bloviate. I mean, that's what all this is, is just nonsensical bloviation. (sighs) And you know who it doesn't point to? It doesn't point to Christ, what he's really said, what he's really done for us and for our salvation. Believe me when I tell you that what Scripture reveals about what Christ has done for us and what the Scriptures actually say, so much better, more interesting than all of this nonsense that makes you scratch your head and go, I wonder what she's talking about. It it sounds so spiritual. I mean, you know, because she used the word replevin. Yeah, Um, nothing what she said is spiritual, biblical, Christian, anything of the sort. This woman is a false apostle, and unless she repents, she's going to have to explain all of this nonsense to Jesus. So what did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My mail address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.